0: My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy.
1: My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be the kind of person who would volunteer to sing a song that I had written in front of my entire elementary school class. Just kidding, it was a high school class.
0: We'll get back to that. But first, <laughs> this is Burn Notice*, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy.
1: Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice.
0: If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end or we'll explain them. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan or anyone that was involved in the production of Burn Notice, please get in touch. You can Send us questions, suggestions, compliments and no criticism of any kind at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod and as always, it is burnnoticed with a D that is the name of our podcast. Tell me, Brie, about the time that you (laughs) sang. I was going to talk a little bit about The Queen's Gambit because I've also watched that show.
1: Oh, it's very good. I love The Queen's Gambit.
0: The Queen's Gambit is really fun but no, fuck The Queen's Gambit. (laughs) Tell me about this thing.
1: I bet I could even find the song. Uh, It's so when I was in high school, um, I was not what you might describe as popular. And for very good reasons. I was a fucking weirdo. Like I have said this before. I've said this to therapists. They don't like that when I say this, but I say I would have bullied me in middle school because I absolutely fucking would have bullied me in middle school. I was awful. (laughs) I was so just, you couldn't be around me. Frankly, I'm amazed anybody was. I, um, it
0: seems to me that like you were like Liz Lemon. Kind of. Like in that episode I, of Liz Lemon where she goes, that, you know that episode of Liz Lemon? Yeah, the
1: that episode, episode of Liz Lemon. where she my
0: To her like high school reunion and she's mad at everyone because they all like made fun of her. But it turns out she was like, she was the bully. Fucking devastating to everyone else. I am assuming that I, that's what your childhood was like.
1: Not really, because I definitely wasn't a bully. But had I, how, if no, you I, learned that later. my current, <laughs> no, yeah, I, I bully people now for sure. But at the time, I was so obnoxious that current me looking back would have bullied me, is my point, basically. Because you learned so, the ways of bullying. Exactly. I got better, I got stronger. And, uh, growth oh my God, doesn't always have here.
0: to be positive.
1: Exactly. So basically, I was something of a minor singer songwriter. I was not musical, but I had a decent voice. I still do. If, if You're I not sing a major singer
0: songwriter like a Taylor Swift.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, but I didn't actually have any like, I, I, I was a lyricist, I I think would be a better phrase because like I was always a writer. So I could write song lyrics and like I could sing okay, yeah. you know, so like the two and of those things were things not going to stop me. In a minor key? Yes, they were all very creepy. No, so I would like I would write these really. You a minor when you wrote them. (laughs) I was I was like thirteen, and it was a real problem. But anyways, I wrote a lot of songs and. For I don't actually remember the context, but I know it was unsolicited. I offered to sing one of the songs that I had written in front of my freshman year literature class. I guarantee no one brought up the fact that, like, I wrote songs. I did. And I guarantee no one asked me to sing. I think I offered... I don't know why I do know that one of the reasons that I probably offered is because I had written a song that was directed at a kid in that class because I was mad at him because he had been mean to me and I was like low key in love with him. And so I don't think I have this song. I have a lot of songs that I used to write, uh, but I don't think this is the actual song that I sang. Oh no it is. It for sure is. Oh you I found it. Oh now. great. That's good. I did. It's a song called from the back of a classroom of uh, or course from it's the back of that. the classroom. But yeah, basically I got up in front of my freshman year literature class and I sung a song that was a direct like response to the way I had been treated by a boy in that class and I don't actually know if he knows this, but it was still an aggressively uncomfortable thing to do because I was just singing along to no music with like a very limited capacity to sing. <laughs> In front of my entire freshman incoming class, and like the important thing to know about like the high school that I went to is that it was a it was fed from two di- like multiple different um, middle schools. Like it was uh-huh. th- there was the rich middle school. So this is a, a like, like, of situation. Were. Exactly, and so I was from the like poor rural middle school where there were bars on the windows, like that's the level that we were working with, and everyone in this class was like my new classmates, like this was my opportunity to start afresh, and I thought, no, fuck that, I'm gonna dig myself an even deeper grave into nobody liking me I'm gonna sing From the Back of the Classroom an original song by Brie Castellini in front of all of these fucking
0: teenagers How many songs do you have?
1: Uh, Well I have more than I definitely have here but uh, I have 35 Five saved on my computer.
0: Well, um, Patreon bonus.
1: <laughs> yeah, again, guys, we're running out of burn notice seasons. You got, if you want a podcast, if you want a Patreon or a Substack, perhaps, where we actually, like, give you some nonsense, like, you're running out of time. So you better oh fucking my God, please email us and say, hey, lyrics. I want to give you money. No, hold on, Brie,
0: Brie, don't read me the lyrics. Sing me the lyrics.
1: Even if I can remember a handful of the melodies, like, they are not... <laughs> Good. So it's hard to like think what would a bad version of this like how could I badly musicalize the words that I'm saying right now like it's basically just bad poetry that rhymes more often than my poetry tends to but here's here's the chorus of from the back of the classroom. But I don't know what to do. Should I think about you or should I walk away of all the things you used to say? About how I would reach the stars, clear the clouds from the sky. I mean that's, as you can I was do that. Dreaming it's from the back last of line. You can kinda of the make classroom. it work. The classroom's not yeah, fucking no, I mean, like, rhymed with anything. Rhyming
0: in music is I fear only the da- <laughs> somewhat important.
1: I fear the day people yelling, screaming. I fear the night of the memories shared. So hard, so difficult to keep up today. But I don't know what to do. Should I think about you? etc., cetera, et cetera, It goes on this way. Uh, ooh, he carried me through the, all the madness. But That's now that you're gone, who will help me make it through? I don't know. Maybe someone else in this freshman year English class will know. Oh, no. I thought that was part of the song. No, no. I'm remarking upon that 20 years later as an, a full you adult. He thinks we could get him on the podcast. <laughs> no, it was not that pointed. That's why I'm saying I don't know if he knows it's about him. I bet he could probably intuit it because I would do weird shit like this. Where I would, like, write things that were very pointed and he knew he was my only friend and was probably the only one anything could be about. I did write him an ode, apparently. It's an ode to DPS, which are his, his uh, initials.
0: The, the Department of Public Safety in Texas.
1: Yes, exactly. I was obsessed with them. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Biting back tears, fighting my fears gets harder every day. Put my books away. My head is down today. That pain went way too deep. It hurts more than you can know. All these years I just didn't show. The pain that's in my heart. That's why I fell apart. When you went too far, you didn't care at all. You can tell me to back down. You can kick my heart around. But you will never feel the way that I feel now. You will never understand. You would never hold my hand on the way down. It hurts more
0: than you can know. (laughs) Blah, blah, blah. Jesus. There's a weird rhythm to it
1: there is i was starting to remember the melody and i didn't want to admit it because i don't want you to make me kill it or uh, sing it
0: oh we don't have to make you kill it (laughs) i will anyway that's great (laughs) no one i know is as committed to mining her terrible terrible past for content is you, Brie Castellini.
1: Hey, listen, I am t- constantly terrified of running out of ideas, so the, if the way to stave that off is mining my extremely embarrassing past for continued content in the present, I am all for it. Let's push off the amount of time it takes for me to be irrelevant.
0: So you gotta keep pitching that tent.
1: Yep, keep pitching that tent. Chris, what Burn Notice episode are we talking about this week?
0: So this episode, Season 4, Episode 14... Hot Property aired on November 18th, 2010, and if you thought we were done talking about our personal lives, we're not (laughs) done talking about our personal lives, because this is written by Rashad Rezani and directed by our close personal friend, Jonathan Frakes.
1: (laughs) Who I almost killed.
0: Yeah. Bree, do you want to explain how we know Jonathan Frakes?
1: Sure, Jonathan Frakes directed uh, the sizzle reel that our grad school class made of a truly terrible two-part pilot that we wrote as a class, like as a writer's room.
0: Yeah. Uh, And we
1: we condensed it down to like an 11-page truly terrible script that then Jonathan Frakes directed for some reason. And can I just say, didn't do a great job.
0: I don't think Jonathan Frakes
1: was a good director.
0: I don't think he's a great director. He's competent. I think he like, he's like a good TV director but he's like good for like an older style of TV Jonathan Frakes if you don't know who Jonathan Frakes is Jonathan Frakes is most famous for playing Commander William Riker on Star Trek The Next Generation he also directed a bunch of episodes of next generation and directed a couple of the next generation movies too and now he is like a tv director extraordinary he directs so much television all the time
1: yeah like a lot of like um, agents of shield a lot of like the librarians that kind of stuff he doesn't yeah. act anymore does he he's like pretty much transitioned
0: yeah no the only time that i um i mean he is not to my knowledge transitioned but um, okay yeah, the only time I know that he's acted lately was he was on Star Trek Picard. But, like...
1: Got it. Uh, he, like a reprisal sort of campaign. Yeah, exactly.
0: Role. He's not, like... He doesn't act anymore. Like, yeah. He also hosted that show that, like, weird... I forgot the name of the show. He like hosted weird...
1: that show.
0: You know, because, like, that's the one where, like, people use in memes. Like, what? You know, like, there's... Like, the there was You're this so... show that he hosted. It was, like, some sort of, like, weird true story... Type show where like I have it was, no
1: idea what you're talking and, about, and
0: like it was like this show wherein like they would tell you like creepy stories that were like weird news stories.
1: Was it like a um, like a Nickelodeon show? Like a no, it wasn't a Nickelodeon. I don't
0: know. It was on. I do not know. Was it know like the an adult show. show? I'm gonna. It was an adult show. I'm going <laughs> to Google it real quick
1: okay you google it and i'll tell the story of how i almost killed him it's a very short story but basically the way that our graduate program worked is that the second Year uh, of the program, the last year, we have a January term where we spend a week producing the script that we spent the first year and a half writing. And every student in the graduate class and the graduate like media arts class, because we were the TV writing class, and then there was a media arts graduate class that we would work with, like joint forces with, all of us would have some kind of role on the production. So I was a production manager, maybe. I was in the producing team. um, and yeah. uh, Chris was an editor, and yeah. our friend Andrew also, was in the camera department. You exactly. also dropped out midway through this whole process. I did also so you drop never out actually through <laughs> uh,
0: Through the editing. Um, but, like, yeah. I also, yeah. like, co-wrote the actual script that we shot.
1: Oh, yeah. You were one of the people that, that condensed our terrible two-page, two-hour uh, script into a terrible 10-minute yeah. script. Um, it's not I your mostly fault. Say it was going to be like, bad. Most
0: of my meetings with Jonathan Frakes were in that capacity as, like, one of right. the writers. So, like, that was how I dealt with Jonathan Frakes.
1: Yeah. So, that's how you are Jonathan Frakes' close personal friend. Exactly. So, how I became Jonathan Frakes' close personal friend is we lost a, a production assistant, like, right before the shooting started. And it was going to be a person who was going to drive the 15 passenger van because a lot of our locations were at, like a 45 minute drive outside of Brooklyn um, at the main campus for the university that we went to, because they had like a main campus out on Long Island and then like a basically sister school For all the poor kids in Brooklyn, which is where we were, and so we we needed somebody to just basically drive people back and forth from this location for the whole week, um, mostly on like a one day period. And so because I'd had experience driving sixteen passenger vans um, back in college, I volunteered to do that because like it seemed like there wasn't going to be a ton for me to do once we actually started production. So I then spent like two solid days driving back and forth from Long Island to Brooklyn. To to like pick people up, drop them off on set, bring them back home, take them to set. And so the day that I had Jonathan Frakes in my car was the day that I had made this trip five different times that day. So I I had spent like a solid almost 10 hours in a car and I was exhausted and it was dark and this was our final trip of the night. And so Jonathan Frakes and I think his daughter both ended up in my car on the way back to the city for the final time that night. And it was dark and it was like, 11 p.m. at least, and I was fucking exhausted. And as I was getting back onto the highway, I fell asleep at the wheel for like a full five seconds. I was fully asleep. The car started to drift. Nobody noticed, thankfully. It just seemed like, you know, the car kind of like jerked a little bit, but like. <laughs> I fell asleep at the wheel while Jonathan Frakes was sitting in the front seat with me. And he was also, like, needling me the whole time because he, like, thought that I didn't like him. And to be fair, I didn't because I had seen the way he was. You did not like Jonathan Well, because he was acting super weird around all of the women. He kept calling all the female actors his, like, sweetheart and, like, kept making, like, kind of weird jokes. Yeah. Definitely had a different vibe around women than he had around men. And it was fucking awkward.
0: It's really awkward.
1: It was super awkward. And also, like, he was being all, like, cheery and kind of, like, goading me to, like, try to get me to smile kind of stuff, which automatically put me off. But also, like, I was exhausted. I didn't have any personality by the end of my day. And so he was like, oh, man, this girl hates me. I'm going to drive with her. (laughs) You know, like, trying to, like, endear me to him. But I was too exhausted to take his shit at that time. And so I think he thought that that was, like, a fun challenge. Like, we were kind of flirting. And, like, not in, like, that kind of way. But, like, definitely he was... Excited I mean, that he's I like was being, not he's giving anything. trying him to be anything. charming. Him
0: like, I, like I will say, like on balance, he seemed to run a relatively like chill set. I think that's why he gets work. Sure, is that like he like runs pretty good sets, but like yeah, he's like definitely.
1: And I think he's got like one of the actresses sort com- of like, like not complain, but like people didn't feel great about it.
0: Yeah, the it vibes was, were off. The vibes were weird. Like, no, he has a vibe. Like, no sorry if you're a fan of Jonathan Frakes, but it, there was a vibe. Like <laughs> yeah. I don't not saying that he's like a bad person.
1: No, 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 no. He's yeah,
0: just like he, a he little, seemed perfectly
1: fine. He's just like a little old fashioned in a way that yeah. it's like a microaggression kind of a thing where like I don't think he's actively trying to be no. a creep. It's just, you know, he's he's from a bygone era of the way that you yeah. treat people when you are a powerful white man. Um and it's not great. But yeah, so anyways, I almost killed him because I fully fell asleep at the wheel as he was like goading me about hating him. So uh, it was almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it ended up being fine. We're all alive and Jonathan Frakes has gone on to direct a great many more episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So everything ended out fine in the end. He
0: He also hosted a show called Beyond Belief Factor Fiction.
1: I see you've sent me a YouTube video.
0: Yeah, it became like a meme for a while where people would edit together like all of these different bits of just like Jonathan Frakes hosting segments. Cause like presumably the like format He's, of the like, show he like sets it, it up and inter-
1: then you play a clip and then he sets it up and you play a clip.
0: Exactly. And so like editing together all the setups, so, like there's one video that's just like him saying no in all these different ways yeah. and him saying yes. And then there's also this one that I've sent Bree of like him just asking you weird questions. Great.
1: Well, it's been officially twenty minutes, and we have not even read the IMDb description of this burn notice episode, so we should probably get back on task. But I have very much enjoyed this walk through the past with Jonathan Frakes and my minor career. This episode, in a lot of
0: ways, is a blast from the past. Ooh. Let's keep going. The premise of the ep- the episode, according to IMDb, is a thief blackmails the gang into helping her get a chemical weapon back from the Venezuelans who stole it. And Jesse turns to Marv, his former handler, to help Michael get his hands on the Bible. Marv, as you remember, played by Richard Kind,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who we also met during grad school.
1: <laughs> oh, that's true. Actually, I was remembering that because we, we met him because he was on Gotham and Gotham shot at the place where we were going to school. And what I was remembering is that he's like fucking really tall in real life and i noticed he's in this so much episode taller than you think he is he's way taller than you think he is and then jesse is taller than him in this scene and i was like holy shit i know how tall richard kind is jesse must be a fucking like goliath
0: yeah no he he seems tall as fuck
1: is what they're looking for the bible i thought the bible was just the key and the actual like the the, the decoded bit yeah is not they're the not bible. looking I thought for the,
0: the bible like the yeah Bible okay. is no longer relevant
1: yeah, the, now that the Bible has been used, we know it's been used because we know that the guy who has the information has u- has decoded the information, and that's why he knows how important it is. So, yeah, I yeah. don't know why the Bible is in this IMDb description. That's very confusing.
0: Yeah, no, it's nothing to do with the Bible. It's just, like, I think part of it is that, like, the, Bi- the list doesn't have as good a name. Like, they call it the knock list. But, like, again, a list by itself kind of just doesn't have as good a name as, like, the Bible. I think that's probably why. But it's
1: it's inaccurate. Let's get into the weeds. It is inaccurate. Let's let's get into the weeds.
0: Exactly. All right, so the episode starts. Michael breaks into a police station and gets the emails of Justin Warner, who is the guy who decoded the knock list. Like, he, they want to figure out what his deal is, what he is up to, what his plans his are. What his
1: contacts are. Like, any information about this random dude that has now, you know, blown onto yeah, the scene. And,
0: and he is definitely, like, a, a CIA-classified type dude. But apparently it CIA-classified type dudes, like sometimes have to work at a police station so there's just sections of police stations that are specifically for classified dudes and that's what he breaks into so it's a really fun sequence where like Michael just like walks into a police station and pretends to be like three different guys
1: Mm -hmm. yeah there's a moment where he like picks up uh, a file to kind of like walk by as everyone's freaking out then there's another section where he like puts on a jacket and like call somebody a rookie even though he has no idea if this person's a rookie. Exactly. And then there's one final time where he's out front and he's sort of like barking orders at people and then like gets into the car with Sam. It's very yeah, fun. It's, it's definitely really fun. a really fun it's one of the better cold opens we've had this season. Like some of the cold no, opens are yeah, really kind of a it. wet fart this season, but this one it was good.
0: Yeah, exactly. A lot of no, yeah, the bit where he calls the rookie a rookie, like he throws a chair out the window and then he's like, he jumped out the window. <laughs> um, he sure did. It was really very gay. fun. It's really great. I enjoyed it. But yeah, it's fun cold open. After that, though, Michael and Jesse pour through their e- the emails and figure out that Warner is planning on auctioning off the list, and they need to figure out when and where this is going to go down and who it's who is going to be there. So Michael suggests that they talk to Jesse's old contact, Richard Kind, aka Marv, aka the guy with the wife that just. Justin Tracy, Jason Tracy hates for some reason. And so, like, yeah, Richard Kind has returned as Marv and not the other character that he played in season one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I still can't get over
0: that they did that. I mean, shows, like, this do that all, all the time. But yeah, Jesse says, like, I think we can blackmail him, but, like, someone new is going to have to make the approach. So he needs Sam for that. Meanwhile, Madeline comes in and notices that, like, Michael and Jesse are, like, tense, and she's like, what if I just got, like, margaritas and we will hash this out? He's like, Nah, I got shit to do. So Jesse just nopes right out. And Michael's like, nah. Jesse says that he has to go because he's working on a job with Fee. And then, like, Michael's sad that he's not working on this job with Fee.
1: he's like, Fee has a job? She didn't ask me. And then Jesse's like, that's because you're supposed to be resting. And then he, like, hits him in the shoulder that he was shot in and, like, walks away smirking.
0: Yeah. And then, meanwhile, Madeline's like, this is no good. I can't be having this. So uh, Jesse meets Fee, and they have this little brief conversation where, like, Jesse basically forgives Fee and says, "It's fine. It's um, like I'm, I'm not, not mad, mad at, at you, you anymore." Yeah, I'm. I'm mad at Michael. I'm not mad at you. You're a good person. You were just doing Michael's bidding.
1: Because she has no agency as a human being, she is just yeah. Michael's girl.
0: Exactly. She tries to kind of get him to talk about Michael, but he's like, "No, I'm not talking about Michael." So instead, they they meet Stuart and this last week you were talking about there's a scene that is this scene where they go up to this guy, the guy, Stuart's like, Is this guy your muscle? And then she goes, No, I'm the muscle. He's more like my sidekick. <laughs> and and he looks thing.
1: so offended and I love yeah. it. I love when, uh, when Fiona like unexpectedly emasculates one of the people that one of her one of her boys. It's very fun yeah. to me.
0: No, I enjoy that very much. They meet this guy, his name is Stuart and he has a sister named Stephanie because his parents were like that. Stephanie has a boyfriend named Marco who is a Venezuelan diplomat, but this boyfriend is horribly abusive and has now kidnapped his little sister and is trying to take her back to Venezuela. And so, of course, alarm bells are going off and Fee's brain because little sister.
1: Yeah, she, she even says to Jesse a little bit later, like, quote, like, I'm sensitive to missing little sisters or something like that. Yeah.
0: Meanwhile, Sam calls Marv and tells him that he's a private detective named Chuck Finley, who knows that like he Yay. had sex with a woman, maybe a prostitute. It's unclear. Like yeah, but someone well, it, was,
1: it also kind of he calls her a young woman. I was a little bit nervous that it was she was underage. Like the way that it was set up set up was kind of vague.
0: It's super vague as to what went down. I don't think it was that.
1: It it was an affair. But yeah, I don't. I didn't like how I think Sam it was like an emphasized young, or maybe that she was me a prostitute.
0: No, no, I don't think I didn't get that vibe. Like this burn notice is not a show that like lets its pedophiles can deal be, with statutory rape. Yeah. That lets its pedophiles be, like, somewhat heroic. This is not that show. That's fair. So, like, yeah, no, I think it's just meant to be, like, an affair or something. Maybe with a much younger
1: woman, but not necessarily, like, a young woman.
0: But, yeah, no, I kind of got the vibe that it was maybe a prostitute.
1: Well, we know he was willing to sleep with Fee in the last episode we met him in. So he definitely is open to affairs. So they have an example of one, and they're like, get to Miami, or we will, you know, release information about this.
0: Exactly. You need to get to Miami and deal with this. Like... He's like, what is, what am I supposed to do? And he's like, don't worry about it. Just come to Miami. Meanwhile, in Miami, uh, Fee and Jesse uh, stake out Marco's mansion, but they need to get a better look at his security. So Jesse, like, stages a car accident and then marches into this compound as, like, an angry car accident victim just being like, I'm going to sue everyone. He just, like, walks into the building, like, looks around everywhere, checks all security. Is like, no, I'm going to call. My girlfriend, she's going to give me a ride and anything because, like... y'all better like suit up because i'm gonna suit the pants up everyone and they pull a gun on him. he's like never mind i'll go
1: they do give him a big stack of cash though which i bet is nice it's like getting tipped during his delivery job a couple episodes ago like i bet that's nice to just like sometimes get a bunch of money from people because now that he's not living with madeline he's got to pay rent somewhere
0: i feel like michael would probably like give that money away
1: Oh, totally. But what he wouldn't do Michael it in like cash. a like like he wouldn't give it to like a charity. Like I don't get the sense from Michael that he's like a charitable guy. It's more just that he hates money for some reason. He hates it. So I bet he would just like slip it into his mom's house or something. Like it would. It's still nice that he's giving it away, but like there's not really like a an ethics thing. You know, no. it's not about like I want to do good in the world. I want to give it to he the just people he's having it.
0: money.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He just hates capitalism. I think that a, an unexplored part of this whole show that we're doing is that Michael Weston can't speak Spanish and hates capitalism because he also hates working. He hates it. He hates labor.
0: He hates working. He He, hates labor. He He hates hates working. He hates money. (laughs) Money. Yeah.
1: He hates the Spanish language. I don't know how that fits in yet, but we'll get there. It's part of it. (laughs) It's Um, definitely part of it for sure.
0: Anyway. So Jesse in like staging this car accident does like kind of bang his head up a little bit. So Fee patches him up at the loft uh, while they go over the security of the big compound, Michael, who you know lives at the loft, is there eating a yogurt and just kind of keeps bugging them about it. It's like, hey, what's that? Maybe you should look into this. You know, this thing that you're doing. I can help. Do you want to help? I'll, I'll come along. That's fine. I'm just eating yogurt. That's fine. And then he explains that he doesn't think that this is just a kidnapping because this is like way too much security for a kidnapping. There's something else going on here. And if he's like, well we're going to talk to Stuart again. And Michael's like, no, I'll come too. Just, yeah, sure. I'll come, whatever. It's fine. And Pete's like, okay, come. And then Jesse is annoyed.
1: Yeah. Jesse's like really mad. Well, cause yeah, the whole, the whole scene is very tense. Je- like they're very much at each other's throats. Like Michael Weston is being very passive aggressive. And Jesse's like, just spit it out. What have you figured out, Michael? <laughs> and then Michael just keeps inserting himself. And Jesse's like, oh, fine. I guess you can come. And Fiona's like, Oh, my God, you guys.
0: (laughs) Anyway, so they go to meet Stuart. And Stuart maintains that he is just a big brother trying to get his sister back. And then he gets shot. And it turns out, actually, they've been hired by Natalie, the thief played by Callie Thorne from last season in the episode Friends Like These, who pretended to be an abused girlfriend but was actually the bad guy who was, twist, a bad girl. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: That I was, was the episode legitimately that surprised my, by this. Well, I wasn't because we knew that she was coming back. She reprised her role one time, and this is that one time. So, like, I wasn't surprised to see her. I liked that it was her. I didn't expect this to be the thing. But when I saw her, I was like, oh, right, yeah, she was going to be in another episode. Yeah,
0: I knew she was going to come back. But it was like, oh, hey, I kind of forgot her? about it. So it was...
1: And I do love Lucy. her because, like, this is what this is what Lucy Lawless deserved. Lucy Lawless deserved to come back in oh a spectacular God, yes. way and like be sassy and be like, "Hey, remember when you thought I was like a good girl? I'm pointing a gun at you and I just shot a guy. Like, you're working for me now." Just, it's just exactly. It's what it's what she deserved. But
0: whatever. But it's uh, what she just, deserved. We'll just to rem- always be bitter about it.
1: If you don't remember what episode she first stars in, it's the episode where Michael hits Fee, and yes. it sucks.
0: I mean, the episode was actually
1: fine, but uh, Michael hits Fee. And actually, you know what's funny? It's also a Rashad Razani episode. So Rashad Razani wrote both the episodes that Callie Thorne was in. Yeah.
0: I mean, that makes sense. He was probably like, I want to bring that character back. Like he like purposefully left her dangling because she escapes last time.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. One thing that's sort of interesting about this episode is that she spends most of that episode in character. So it's like not until the very end where she really gets to play like a bad guy. Mm-hmm. whereas this time she's playing a bad guy the whole way through and, and like, it's much more fun <laughs> it's much more fun and like she's like really like cheerful it's, it's a really fun performance it's like a she's like a very sort of like goofy kind of comedy character i do love characters like this characters who are like bad guys that have to work with the team for some reason but they're still like bad guys This is, it's one of my favorite character types, and Mm -hmm. I was glad that she got to play this.
1: Yeah, and she's great. Like, there's a reason that she got hired to be, like, a main character on a TV show of her own. She's very fun. She's a very fun character to watch.
0: Exactly. Anyway, she stole, she says that she stole a chemical weapon for the Venezuelans, and now she wants to steal it back, and she wants the burn noticers to help. And if they don't help, she'll frame Fee for Stewart's murder, because she used Fee's gun to kill Stewart they go away sam confirms that this is true like the venezuelans definitely have a really nasty chemical weapon uh it's like super bad gas it's not just like mustard gas or something or Orange it's like the worst gas that you could get and so they meet with Natalie again at this her favorite place which is this Japanese restaurant where they make you take off your shoes and they hatch a plan for getting the weapon they'll force the Venezuelans to evacuate and then hit them while they're transporting the gas like in transit
1: yeah and this is this is a pretty classic like setup where like we get you know we can't get in so we make them come to us
0: exactly yeah and also Sam tells Natalie that she is staying on the sidelines and will be in their sight the entire time because they do not trust her at all. For good reason. And she's kind of pouty, but she's like, sure. Anyway, so Fee goes to Madeline's to work on rigging a stroller so that it re- releases a chemical that will make it smell like a gas leak because that's their plan. They're going to make them think that there's a gas leak at the compound.
1: Mm-hmm. And she
0: is at this hotel now so like she has to work on all of her like spy projects at Madeline's.
1: Mm-hmm. Which again, which I brought up last week was, why isn't she just staying with Madeline? Like, it doesn't even seem like Michael's staying with Madeline anymore. Michael, it kind of, like, they're at the loft several times in this episode. He's definitely, like recovered enough to go home. So Madeline has now, I think three separate bedrooms that Fee could be staying in because we know that Sam stayed with Madeline before she had the garage apartment. Sam was definitely just in one of the rooms. So there's definitely at least one room in the house, probably two because she, Madeline grew up with two sons and we never had any conversations about Nate and Michael having to share a room. I'm just saying there's a lot of free rooms that she could be at. And it doesn't seem like it makes sense that, Fiona is not staying with Madeline. And the weird also that Madeline doesn't even try to offer because she fucking loves Fiona. Madeline's obsessed with Fiona. Why doesn't she say like, you know, sweetheart, you could stay here. Like, that's what I expected the end of the scene to be. But that was not at all.
0: Maybe they're smart and they both realize that if they live together, they would drive each other mad.
1: I would have at least liked to see that scene.
0: I would love to see that. I would absolutely love to see that. And maybe that will happen later because I think you're right. I think this is going to be a plot that's like for the rest of this half season where it with which ends in her moving in with michael
1: yeah I'm, i'm i'm like i i remember i don't remember any of this happening like at this point i fully this is only the second time i've watched any of these episodes and the first time i watched them was like 10 years ago but i do distinctly remember it being a thing when fiona moves in with michael like it's like a this is what we're doing now kind of moment like it's a it's a significant step forward in their relationship so i do remember that that's a thing i don't remember any of the circumstances but emotionally i'm getting a vibe that this is when that happens
0: yeah that makes sense anyway so madeline's there and she sees her doing work and she tells fee that she's planning on trying to fix things with jesse and michael and she wants fee's help
1: yeah and fee's like okay
0: Sure. Yeah, sure. Anyway, so Sam and Jesse meet with Marv, and Jesse explains that, like, they're not going to blackmail him. They don't actually care about this thing that happened a long time ago. They just want to, like, get the info from this thing. And then he explains that, hey, you know the last time that you got info from me? We brought down the CEO of Drake Technologies. That was a huge thing. You were involved in that. He kind of, like, plays on, like, actually, you were involved in this amazing thing that happened, and if you help me run these names and numbers and figure all this out and figure out when this thing is going down, you will also be part of another great thing. And he's like, I don't know about that. But yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, unlike like, when Michael got burned and anytime he tried to talk to the CIA, all of them were like, fuck you, Michael Weston. We're not helping. But now anytime Jesse contacts somebody from the before, they're like, you are a good guy. And you know what? If we're, you're doing good things, I'm going to help you out. Like nobody gives a fuck about Michael Weston or what he's doing. Say. So all of, all of his contacts are such shitheads. But all of Jesse's contacts are like, they might be shitheads. But they also want for the greater good. <laughs> it's like, wow, Michael, you were thing. definitely not in the right department.
0: No, or maybe Michael was just worse.
1: <laughs> and it's not until he got burned that he actually grew a conscience?
0: Yeah, or even, like, I think, like, Michael... Because, like, Michael is so, like, boring, you know? Like He was, Michael he was seems a
1: tried-and-true like, soldier, follows the rules, like,
0: yeah, follows orders. Exactly, and, like, he wasn't really, like, hanging out. Whereas, like, Jesse seems like a guy you could have a beer with. So it's probably just, like, he has more friendships like whereas Michael was all business all the time. So like that actually tracks for me.
1: But I just do just think it's interesting that even though we know Marb's like not a great dude, the thing that ultimately sways him is I'm doing good work. Yeah. But it's also telling is that what I mean, and, I, and obviously the circumstances are slightly different, but it's also telling that Jesse goes there. Whereas whenever Michael was trying to get in touch with somebody from the CIA, it was always about him. It wasn't about like, I need to get back in so I can do good stuff. Or like, hey, can I call in a favor to make sure that like I can help somebody? It's always about like, why don't I have my job again? Please give me my job back. And it's exactly. interesting that like Jesse's whole thing now is like, no, I just want to do good. We'll deal with the job thing later. And for Michael, it was always job first. So maybe, maybe he's not actually anti-capitalist. I don't know. I'll have to go back to the drawing board for that theory.
0: I mean, I don't think he cares about capitalism. He just cares about the U.S. government. I mean, they're... I mean,
1: sorry, you just said the same thing twice. Do, do you want I mean, to re- rephrase?
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so Michael, Jesse, and a very antsy Natalie watch as he pours chemicals into a pipe to make them think there's a gas leak, while Sam poses as a gas worker who tells them that they're all going to get blown up if they don't leave. It's like y'all need to get out like there's gas can't you smell that gas you need to go uh however marco the big venezuelan bad guy does not buy it like his goons are like trying to open the the vault um that the chemical weapon is like being kept in which sam sees so we now know where it is Mm -hmm. but marco's like no what are you doing it's like the guy says we might die and he's like fuck it we'll die
1: i mean that's a commitment to the gig
0: yeah, and he does also say that like he kind of doesn't trust this. He's like, this is a very suspiciously timed gas leak. So they just send Sam away. Then to make matters worse, a guard notices Fee and starts asking questions. Especially when he notices that Fee has a stroller but no baby. Mm-hmm. And so Natalie, who does not want the mat- the operation to get blown, like runs over and says that Fee stole her stroller, and the two of them like get into a whole physical fight because like they're pretending to be these two women who are fighting because like fee stroller stroller and then like the guard gets like annoyed and tells him to leave
1: and thus
0: (laughs) natalie is shown that like maybe she is trustworthy yeah maybe
1: maybe she's on the level at least for this
0: job exactly maybe she's not such a heinous bitch after all anyway so they have another meeting at natalie's favorite japanese restaurant and explain that at least know where the weapon is now so their new plan is that they're going to disable all of the like like lights and sirens and alarms because they can't like break into the safe without making the alarms go off but they can just kind of disable all the alarms on the other end basically and then they'll cut into the vault with a water saw which we've seen before on burnt notice we
1: have didn't they use the water saw to get into michael's his storage space when
0: detective bad
1: actress was after him
0: yeah i think so yeah oh that was that episode i think with the day that never ended
1: (laughs) it was yeah because that's like the last thing they do that night but like they had a full fucking plot and then they still have to go to michael's mom's house to eat bad birthday cake Oh, uh, that was a fun episode. That
0: was a fun episode. Anyway, <laughs> um, Natalie says that, hey, that's going to take way too long. Uh, and they're like, no, we did it in a day. And <laughs> and she says, but I can get my hands on a thermal lance, and I know how to use a thermal lance. That'll be way faster. And they're not sure because they don't trust her. And so to further prove that she is trustworthy, she gives Fee back her gun. And as proof of trust. So now she can't frame Fee for murder anymore. So I was like, sort of fine. expecting
1: that that was not the real gun.
0: I was sort of, I mean, I was working on the assumption that it was the real gun because it I felt like that was the plot point that the episode was selling me. Because like, it seemed like a thing that would be relatively easy to fake. The fact that no one in the episode questioned it made me think that, well, that's
1: why I was it thinking, was, like, maybe later, like, Fee would have it with her on a job. And then, like, she, like, looks down and, like, realizes, hey, didn't I file off that serial number or something like that? And then realizes it's not the gun. And that's when, like, they realize that Callie's actually run off with whatever the thing is. Like, I was expecting it to be, like, a double cross where, like, see, it mean, was a, it was a faux olive branch.
0: But, like, I was – That cause wasn't was thinking, the one like, you were expecting. It would be really – yeah. Because I remember watching the scene and being like, it'd be really easy to give her, like, a fake gun, but then also, like, Fee really knows her guns. And, like, again, the fact that, like, no one questions it, like, at all, no one even brings up the possibility that this could be a different gun made me think that, I think they need us to believe that this is the actual gun, like, for real.
1: I'm just saying it like, could have been a cool moment for, like, Fiona to realize something it versus, could have been. like, the boys. But yeah. Also, I will say something that struck me about this scene that might not be important, but I thought was interesting, is that I really do think that the 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 Burn Notice writers, like, do their research. Because I remember the scene where they're using the water saw. One of the things, uh, like, the spy tip about it was, if you're patient... You can, like, this is going to take a while, but it's quieter and, like, a more efficient way of, like, doing this. And so, like, the, the fact that they reference, once again, water saws, which we have seen, take a while. I'm like, okay, so I believe you that this is a real thing. And I now also believe you that a lot of the spy tips that you give us might be less bullshit than I have been assuming. Because, like, it seems like they it, as much as they can they do care about like the realism of a lot of this there's stuff.
0: definitely a consistency here yeah they're they're listening to michael wilson
1: they're a bunch of dorks yeah the one thing you anyway. can say about the burn notice writers is that they're a bunch of dorks
0: definitely come on our show hey anyway, so jesse meets with marv again who is very nervous to the point of recording their conversation like he's like wearing a wire not for anyone in particular just so he has evidence, I guess. He says he doesn't want to be involved. The people that, like, are trying to buy the list are all very bad guys and, like, super high-up bad guys. They all want to buy this thing. He does not want to be involved, but he does give him the information of when and where the auction is going down. He also says that you have to put $5 million in an escrow account just to get in the door, at which point Jesse awkwardly asks him, for five million dollars, <laughs> because apparently he knows a guy at the Federal Reserve and, who can like, give
1: him like money that's about to be burned and like taken out of
0: circulation. Yes, and Marv reluctantly agrees to do that. And like, yeah, and like, because apparently that's the thing that like you do when you're a spy. You can get old money that's about to be burned if you need cash quickly, mm-hmm. but like you right. can't actually it use it because
1: then stuff. it doesn't come out of the budget. Like it's just yes. like it's basically burner money. Um, it's literally really burner money. Did you mention that – I might have missed it, but did you mention that uh, Kelly Thorpe's favorite restaurant means that they have to take their shoes off every time they come in? Yes, I did mention it. Okay, good. I I, I missed that you did, but then when you didn't mention it the second time, I was like, hang on, that's definitely something we should establish. Okay, cool.
0: Yeah, I mentioned it the first time.
1: Cool. Yeah, I just didn't remember because I was not listening. (laughs)
0: Love you, too.
1: Oh, you – Neither of us listen to either of us. This is the whole thing with the podcast. We are two podcast hosts who record fully separately, but somehow oh things time out, right? <laughs> we are I'm recording this on a Tuesday, you're recording this on a Friday. Neither of us have listened to what the other person has said, but somehow it works.
0: We're like two like stars of a television show that hate each other.
1: <laughs> so all of the wide shots are like special effects.
0: Yeah. the
1: finale of the good wife that's been largely disputed but i kind of think it's true okay so they're planning for the heist
0: they're planning for the heist um michael and fee plan for the heist and uh fee mentions that she threw that gun into the ocean she's done with that gun she is still pissed to be working with natalie uh they also go over sam's escape route like this is what sam's gonna do and like the whole plan is that they're gonna go and take out the security get like get the weapon and then go in completely different directions and then group up later. Yeah. And so they go in just before dawn and successfully get the weapon out of the safe and away from the area. But Natalie accidentally sets the vault on fire, which gets the attention of all the bad guys. And so they have to get out fast. And then during the escape, she breaks her ankle and can't go over a wall. And she's like, that's fine. They're going to notice that the thing is gone and I'll leave and I'll be able to sneak away quietly.
1: Yeah, um, like, leave me behind. Don't, save yourself. I'll be fine.
0: Yeah, definitely not suspicious at all.
1: <laughs> also not suspicious at all that she's the one that sticks, like, has the weapon.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, no, Oh, no, she doesn't. No, Sam, Sam does. has I the forgot. weapon. Right,
1: right, 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 right. Yes, Sam fine. has the
0: weapon. No, no. Like, yeah, she does not have the weapon. Sam has the weapon. Like, they give the weapon to Sam, and he leaves. Um, which is why, in the next scene, Sam is driving away with a weapon. But then the car gets flipped by a bomb in a pothole and at which point Natalie arrives and then takes the weapon
1: really quickly so there's a spy tip that goes over this that I assume you'll mention because it's a decent one but is the implication of the spy tip that like Sam's not a good spy cuz he didn't notice all of this stuff like the whole point is there's like a lot of construction and stuff kind of leading him away to a like de- like a deserted area and that's how he can get redirected into this pothole bomb but he does get redirected into the pothole bomb so is the spy tip Michael basically like shading Sam for not noticing
0: you know, this seems like a thing we would talk about in Spy Tips, but.
1: <laughs> well, but we're talking about the uh, scene, so I wanted to mention it see, now. This like, is did you get thing. that impression as well?
0: I wasn't sure because it. I did kind of get that impression, but I got the impression that what was going on, it wasn't that, like, he was getting diverted. It was just that, like, the road was under construction and, like, Sam does notice and kind of, like, is able to turn at the last second. Like, if he hadn't noticed, he'd be dead.
1: I guess. It just sort of seemed like it was basically, hey, Sam, here's all of the eight things that you missed and could have gotten away from this situation completely. <laughs> like, it just, it seemed almost like a passive-aggressive tip. I don't know. It just came across that way because Sam continues along the path. But I guess you're right. He did technically save his life at the end of the day. So he, he noticed it when it mattered, you know, that final moment he noticed it. I just thought it was funny that, like, it was a spy. It's, like, one of the first examples of a spy tip where the character in the scene is, like, yeah. Not using it to, like, their advantage in the way that we're used to. I just thought it was I think it, it was supposed Sam. to
0: be an advantage. Just, like, it, I, Not until it was kind of did the same thing. It was sort of unclear, especially since a lot of the spy tip, and we'll get to it when we talk about the spy tip, is about a different situation. Yeah. It's a whole thing. Anyway.
1: It's a whole thing. Anyway, so Sam got debombed da- da- and Natalie drives away with the weapon.
0: Exactly. So the Bernie bros go over what happened and realize that when they met Natalie at the Japanese restaurant and took off their shoes, Natalie must have bugged Michael's shoe. And so she's been listening in on them. And that's how she knew where Sam would be. However, they can use this knowledge to find her. Of course so, they
1: can. Anytime they, they like this is like classic Burnout of shit, where as soon as there's a bug. Yeah, there's a bug. Now we can use it against them. And I kind of yeah, feel like-, like
0: season one shit.
1: Exactly, and it's kind of funny that Callie's like, definitely this is now that they know I've double crossed them. They're definitely not going to figure out how I did it. <laughs> like the right? fact that she thinks that the bug isn't burned is wild, and it kind of undercuts how potentially cool this sort of character could be. Because I like, like, I like this. I mean, thing that I get doing. the
0: sense from the episode that like she only sort of buys this, but like. It's one of those situations where if she's wrong, it would be very bad for her. I guess that's true. She's like, this is probably bullshit, but it might not be bullshit. But if it's
1: not bullshit, I'm fucked.
0: Yeah. So yeah, Michael and Sam find the bug and they pretend that they've just gotten back from the job and then they pretend that they knew that she was going to betray them, which to be fair, I knew she was going to betray them. Like, right. it was a reasonable assumption. <laughs> and and so in preparation for that, they had switched the cases for a decoy case. They say that Jesse has placed this weapon under a causeway to be picked up later. Like, this is where the real case is. Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: what I liked about this scene and I think this is kind of the first time they do it when there's not a like rando client they have to baby through it but they they have clearly written out their script on a legal pad and like they have this whole thing where like Sam goes over to the like sneaks over to the door and like makes a door closed foley sound and then Michael's like Sam there you are (laughs) and like it's this whole like radio play that they're doing and they're reading off a script and it's really cute I liked this scene I thought it was fun
0: it reminds me, remember we talked about that one episode where they went in and torched the bar and, and, oh, and yeah. like imagined how they were going to torch the bar? It's like that.
1: It was very much like that. Um, this is the scene where Michael's eating a yogurt. Sam drinks a beer, Michael eats a yogurt, and they read from a script like theater oh, then friends.
0: Oh, there's two yogurts then. I was wrong.
1: Wait, where's the other yogurt?
0: At the beginning when like uh, Jesse is getting his head put together.
1: Oh. I didn't notice the yogurt then. Great. Two two whole yogurts. This is a very yogurt light episode though. So or a season, I mean. This is a very yogurt light season. We'll get to that. This episode's
0: trying to make up for it. (laughs) So yeah, so Jesse and Fee make a decoy canister of gas that will be good enough to stand up for testing. So they put like actual tear gas and pesticides in it. So it's like
1: It'll kill something small, but not something big.
0: Exactly. Anyway, so they place the bait, and Natalie takes it, and they track her, because they also put a tracker on the canister. And they track her to, like, what is possibly her hideout, or wherever. They track her to this place, um, and Michael goes in while Natalie is inspecting both gas canisters, Uh, He holds her at gunpoint and tells her they're going to take her in. At that moment, the buyers arrive toting automatic weapons. And Michael says he's going to shoot the canister with gas if they don't leave. And they don't buy that he's going to shoot gas and kill them all. And he shoots the fake canister, which is full enough of tear gas and pesticides to seem real?
1: Yeah, cuz like it's so, you're still getting tear gassed, which as you know is uh favored by local terrorist organizations the police in the United States.
0: Yeah. So the, everyone like runs away and Natalie's like, "No, like fucking help me." And they're I'm like, dying. You're fine." <laughs> She's like, you're not dying. You're fine. And then they like handcuff her to like a piece of equipment, and then um
1: and then they put the bomb, the real weapon in her real gas,
0: and then tell her, like everyone wants you dead right now.
1: So turnstay's witness or die for real.
0: Exactly, because like the Venezuelans want you dead. These guys that just ran away want you dead. Everyone wants you dead. It's fine. Um and also, Fee makes a cutting remark about her looks. <laughs> and Jesse meets with Marv one last time, and Marv gives him the money they like, have a whole conversation where uh, Marv asks Jesse if he trusts Michael. And Jesse's like, I don't know about that. Um, and then he gets a call from Fee, who's like, hey, come to Carlitos and we'll have lunch. And he's like, sure, I like lunch. But when he gets there, it's not lunch. It turns out it's a meeting that's been set up with Madeline because Madeline is going to sit them both down and then Madeline just goes hard at them both. And just basically tells them, yes, you were both shitty to each other. Suck it the fuck up. I'm your mom.
1: Yeah. Something that struck me about this scene was that it's the first time that they're kind of acknowledging, like... Michael and Jesse are kind of brothers. Like, they function as brothers more than anyone else in the team. Like, obviously, Michael and Fee are dating. Michael and and Sam are, like, best friends. And, like, Sam is kind of his, like, older best friend. Maybe even, like, on cool, uncle territory. You know, and, like, Fee and Sam are, like, best friends who, like, their whole bit is that they kind of hate each other. And Michael and Jesse, especially given how both of their relationships factor in with Maddie, are very much, like, two brothers
0: yeah and I think it's that's like, kind of sweet it is kind of sweet it would be nice if you know Michael had a brother character that you could explore that <laughs> way
1: honestly no I don't want any more fucking Nate
0: oh my god I, anyway, I prefer
1: that Madeline adopts Jesse and disowns Nate he and his uh, Las Vegas wife can fuck off forever
0: did he ever show up again I don't even know he
1: will soon he's in this season
0: Oh my god, that's terrible. Nate is imminent. Oh my god. Anyway, that's it. They like, they agree to kind of bury the hatchet a little bit. And they're working because they're about to go to an auction next week, presumably. But that's how the episode ends.
1: Can I say it's how sweet it is that like the thing that they do to show that they're cool with each other is that they get back to work because these two fucking knuckleheads, the only thing they know how to do is work. And I love that for them. It's that's like so relatable to me. Like, all right, we're friends again. And you know how we know we're friends again because we immediately start making a spreadsheet.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's so unrelatable to me.
1: (laughs) That's why I like burn notice more than you. Yeah. I am also a toxic workaholic yeah speaking of
0: there were we're, a lot of spy tips this week and like yeah
1: there were my episode was pretty light all things considered even of the ones that i had cut out before we started talking like there weren't that many but yeah yours was fucking chock full
0: rashad rosani i am looking at a list right now and like it is a list of 12 tips and that is having taken out the bad ones and condensed a couple yeah. They were like 20-something when I started. So let's go through them. All right. National intelligence agencies and local law enforcement work together more often than you might think. Most metropolitan police stations have an office called a fusion center, where classified intel is collected in one place. It's a great resource to you information fast. Unfortunately, it does involve breaking into a police station.
1: Yeah, that was the that was the starter tip, which I I clocked immediately because it's the first thing that is happening in the voiceover. And usually that's like a thematic voiceover, not really a spy tip. So I I remember listening to that and being like, oh, they're actually starting out with a real spy tip this time. That's interesting.
0: Next tip. Get caught with a lockpick set in a police station and you've got problems. A pair of cheap sunglasses is less suspicious and just about as effective. Modify them in advance and you can... Use the stems and as a rake and tension tool. And if you get caught, you're just a guy with some busted sunglasses.
1: I like this. I think that's useful. If you know how to pick locks, you can modify sunglasses. And it's it's like the, the tip where if you're breaking into someone's house, eat a yogurt. Then when they get home, you can just act confused because you thought it was your yogurt. <laughs>
0: i do like (laughs) that but
1: this time it's broken
0: sunglasses all right this one could stay the best security probe isn't necessarily stealthy sometimes you want to be right on the open with the right approach you can march up to your enemy's front door evaluate his defenses and personnel without them realizing what you're up to and the approach in this episode is like he gets in a car accident and pretends to be someone who's in a car accident
1: yeah i think combined with the scene that's helpful i mean it's, it's classic con man stuff but i did like this sort of specific Jesse Flair, like get in a car accident in full view of the place and just sort of like don't let anybody talk as you wander around and like, you know, how he gets from like the car to the front gate, how he gets from the front gate to the front door, how he gets from the front door to like wandering around the house. Like I feel kind of woozy. I got to call my girlfriend. Where's your phone? Where's your phone? I don't know if that would actually be as useful now because I don't think people have home phones anymore, but I did like the kind of different stages and how he got past each and like what also what kind of things he was clocking
0: were useful. Nowadays, you would say, can I charge my phone?
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. Do you have an outlet? I don't see an outlet. Where's an outlet?
0: Exactly. I like it. It's good. You want to keep it? Yeah, let's keep it. Cool. It may surprise anyone who is left on a stove burner, but natural gas is odorless. The smell most people think of as gas is actually an additive called THT, which means that making people think there is a gas leak is as simple as pumping THT into the air with a portable pump and some rubber hose. It's safe, effective, and easy to deploy, but it smells like you just wandered into an open sewer. Then you just have to get the package in place without anyone getting suspicious.
1: Yeah, it's that classic shopping list tip.
0: Yeah. And like, I knew that gas was odorless, but I didn't know what the thing was called.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's useful. It is I also like that she's using like a camelback, essentially, to load in the stuff.
0: All right, cool. There's a reason most surprise attacks... Are just before dawn. Sleepers hit their deepest REM cycles just before sunrise, which makes it harder to come to full alertness. And anyone on watch is likely to be exhausted and at the end of a shift.
1: I think that's useful. The REM sleep thing, I think, pushes it over the, like, limit. Because I think edge, my yeah. imp- my impulse would have been, like, right when it gets dark so that you have, like, maximum amount of time of darkness to, like, finish your job. But this makes sense. It's like you actually don't exactly. need the rest of the time because even if you do get caught, yeah, it's easier. Yeah, that's useful. I don't think it would work for me because I, I don't think I ever get deep enough sleeping to get into a REM cycle, like, to get into deep REM sleep. I genuinely don't think I've been in deep REM sleep in, like three years oh my god (laughs) (laughs) like i'm you need help i am barely alive i think is the takeaway but i do have 32 original songs i wrote as an 11 year old so you know maybe i'm not doing so bad after all
0: small caliber high velocity bullets can pierce fragile surfaces without shattering them if you need to knock out floodlights from a few hundred yards away they're even better than an off switch Spray insulation is handy for more than keeping your house cool in the summer. Use it to fill the diaphragm of a siren and it'll be about as noisy as a lawn gnome. These were listed as two separate tips, but they happen at the same time.
1: Yeah, I, I, I actually, I was like, this seems like something they probably would have split into two. But yeah, I agree that they should be in the same tip. And I agree it's a good tip. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Spray insulation. I made
0: this one a slightly separate tip. Burning at temperatures over 8,000 degrees, thermal lances are used by construction crews to cut through rock and steel. They're tricky to operate, but they'll slice through a heavy deadbolt like butter.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think we, we said that the water saw was good back in the day, and I also didn't know what a thermal lance was, so now I do, and I know when I would use it.
0: Exactly. Good stuff. All right, here we are at the tip that we talked about before. Oh, yeah. Spies are trained to be careful around road work. Too many workers for too little work, you're probably driving into a snatch and grab. No workers with roadblocks guiding you toward a freshly paved pothole rather than away from one. It's a good bet you're about to drive over a bomb.
1: Yeah, so what's interesting about this tip is that theoretically what I would take away from this is that I shouldn't allow myself to be diverted as soon as I start to clock that there are too few workers for too little work and that then there's no workers but a lot of roadblocks. I would have turned around. And it's funny to me that in the scene, Sam keeps driving.
0: It depends. I I don't know how often, like, how long a thing of, like, road work signs there were. I don't think there was It was, there was decent. Enough. Like, he
1: was clocked. Because, like, this, he, there has to be enough to have this full tip come out before the explosion happens. So there's at least a solid That's 15, true. 20 seconds of Sam driving and, like, clocking things as Michael reads the tip. Like, I remember from the episode. This is
0: fair. I also... Anyway, do you think it's a good tip?
1: Here's the thing. I'm going to keep this conversation, but I don't think it's a good tip because, like, a fucking course it would be suspicious if there was road work signs but no workers. Like, if there's that much road work signs but there are literally no construction workers anywhere, I, as a
0: normal person, without seeing this Burn Notice
1: episode, would be suspicious.
0: I would just assume people are on break, but then I'm not a naturally suspicious person. Well,
1: but no, they don't take breaks at the same time. Like, they, you stagger that shit. You don't take breaks at the same time when you work at, like, the dog hotel for the same reason. You can't like leave shit unattended. I mean, that's valid.
0: Yeah. I kind of feel feel like this is a common sense thing. I feel like I've seen things like this, but maybe I was just running into a lot of spies.
1: Yeah, maybe. And maybe you just weren't the target. So they decided not to detonate the pothole bomb. Yeah. Yeah. This just feels like one of those, it feels more complicated than normal, but it feels like just one of those common sense, no shit tips. (laughs) That's just like, yeah, Michael, of course that's the way that that happened. You know?
0: I mean, what? If, but what about the too much workers?
1: Uh, that's also part of the. Tip. I don't know how I would gauge too many workers.
0: That's fair. I can you get know. rid of it. There's a lot. Like we've already gotten. Yeah, we're we're
1: it. already at. Yeah, we're already at seven. I
0: I feel like I might could make an argument for this one, but I don't care that bad. Yeah. Making fake weapons is a little known but important art. If you don't want to put real killing power in the hands of a bad guy, you need a convincing substitute. A fake chemical weapon has to pass a field test, usually a simple chemical analysis and a cruel demonstration with a small animal. Strong pesticide mixed with tear gas and a diesel fuel will do the trick without killing anyone who weighs more than 20 pounds.
1: Yeah, I think that's useful. I also, the first first thing I thought when this tip was said out loud was, man, burnout really isn't vegan. And I don't know why that's the first thing I thought, but that's the first thing I thought when I heard this spy tip.
0: Burn notice really isn't vegan?
1: (laughs) Chris, I haven't had deep REM sleep in so long. You have to forgive me of this.
0: But does that make watching it not vegan? I don't know. What does that mean, Brie? What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know what that means. I couldn't tell you. It's not like the episode of television killed a mouse.
1: I just think it's important to establish that burn notice... You might think it, but it's not vegan.
0: I mean, I'm pretty sure that they have eaten things on screen that were not vegan.
1: Yeah, but nothing's been less vegan than this. This is where it came confirmed. I had suspicions before.
0: There's no way that Madeline has made anything that's vegan.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying that that was a weird thing that popped into my head specifically relating to this spy tip, which I approve of. It is a good spy tip.
0: You're a fucking nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) One fear, baby. One fear. Anyway, like I said, that's eight spy tips. Like, that's a lot.
1: Yeah, it's a chock full episode. And those, uh, some of those were like genuinely really good and like some of them were also combined. So, you know, if we counted it the way that the spy tips in the wiki counted it, it would be even more. So, it definitely yeah. has at least at least five practical spy tips.
0: Do we have spycraft over violence though?
1: Uh, I think so. I think that
0: they... I like a heist. They do a heist at one point.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a heist. There's sneaking around. There's like Natalie and, and uh Fee have to like you know, become catty women to get away from
0: a guy. Sam and Michael have to read from a script.
1: They do. Oh, yeah, that was my favorite. I love when they do Foley or when they do, like, audio work. Like, that time that Michael Weston had to pretend to be a bunch of different guys checking in with Sam. And he just, like, changed his voice a bunch. Like, I love it when they do, like, radio gags.
0: So, yeah, definitely Spike October violence. Definitely. There was not an alias this week.
1: No, yeah, there was, there were, like, little bit parts for sam and fee and everyone but yeah i don't think there was a there certainly wasn't a proper alias for michael weston
0: no where fee and sam used well i do agree fee was definitely i think used well she did that thing Mm
1: -hmm.
0: like i liked fee in this episode
1: yeah Fee had some good stuff. sam used well sam's once again kind of taken a back seat because like these episodes have a lot more jesse in them and a fairly compelling central like bad guy slash teammate and so because as we've discussed many times sam doesn't really have like anything that he cares about or wants he kind of falls into the background for episodes
0: where there's too many characters yeah let's see in this episode he pretends to be a gas guy and he pretends to be a private eye
1: yeah like he's involved like i i i when every time there's like not a good episode like you when it's usually not a good episode of fee she's underutilized when it's not a good episode of sam he's there and he's involved in stuff but he just doesn't have any like standout sequences and like standout scenes and so like this would be one of of those it's been a while since we've had like a classic sam axe nonsense
0: yeah it's almost as if as the show has gotten better they've needed him less well, yeah, because like, there was like a time when, the time, like, the peak he was like one of the best things about the show.
1: Oh, totally. Well, like, that's why we called it the, this rule, like the peak Bruce Campbell rule. And yeah. we ha- like peak Bruce Campbell feels like an element that doesn't really fit in to the episodes anymore. Which like, again makes
0: me think whether or not we should reevaluate it.
1: I think we should because he's still on the team and like that is still a core part of his character. Like maybe if Sam starts doing a new thing that like we can evaluate as like the way that it's they're using Sam well, then maybe we can like restructure
0: it. But but they've mostly just not been using him.
1: Exactly. And that's why he we haven't been giving it to them for him. Yeah. And that's why in this case, because that's only a point five, we do need Jesse to be interesting enough to be a main character to... Make this a
0: great episode of. How uh, was he? Hmm. Let's see. What did he do in this one?
1: Well, he has all that stuff with Marv.
0: He has all the stuff with Marv, and it's sort of. He is doing a thing that's distinct from Michael, like we talked about. Yeah, yeah he's mostly in the Marv plot. Well, but he also um, Just he, he does. Yeah, he that he accompanies thing. Fee. Yeah, he's Fee's sidekick. Fee's sidekick, that's good. That's a as much a good Fee thing as anything. He also mm-hmm. does run around in the compound and pretend to have been in a car accident.
1: Oh, yeah, he does.
0: Like, that's a bit that like that Bruce Campbell would have done back in the day.
1: Exactly. Yeah, he, he does very much take the kind of like flamboyant other guy part <laughs> in the in the adventure this time.
0: So, yeah. Yeah, and um, I also think Jesse it's that. interesting.
1: Yeah, and, and also I think the the whole conversation we had about, like, the different ways in which Michael and Jesse navigate dealing with their old life and trying to, like, use resources now. I think that was an interesting distinction as well. Like, him appealing – like, definitely blackmailing Marv, but also appealing to his better angels, you know?
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I think that is what makes Jesse worth it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, so, I yeah. think that Jesse is definitely interesting enough to be a main character. So that is what – Four.
0: That's three point five. Three point five,
1: which does technically make this a great episode of Burn Notice. Not as great of an episode of Burn Notice as last week's, but still pretty solid.
0: Yeah, I didn't get Rashad Rizani is turning out to be one of the most competent Burn Notice writers.
1: He definitely is more of like, you know, the establishment Burn Notice than I would say
0: the most well.
1: Yeah, he's you know he's never
0: writing alt Burn Notice.
1: Totally not. Yeah. You know, it's like an alignment chart, you know, or like a spectrum, you know, where like one end of the spectrum is Matt Nix and Alfredo Barrios Jr. And on the other side of the spectrum is like Michael Horowitz followed by Jason Tracy and Craig O'Neill. I think Rajad Razani is like the true neutral of this spectrum.
0: True. Uh, in and a way like, that I think serves him well actually is it right I do too he to, like he gets to do like a balance yeah like, and then,
1: like it, you know it's it, I don't think I I don't expect Rashad Rosani to ever have oh he did he did have a great episode of television this season um no, I, yeah I
0: think he's getting better
1: oh and he had one last season too
0: no yeah no he's like really
1: he's not coming bad. his own. all right
0: is this a great episode of television though
1: I don't think so. I had I less fun it with it either. than last week's, and like that alone is enough to knock it. Because, like, last week I wasn't going to argue with See, a I great had more villain.
0: fun with this one than I had with last week's.
1: Well, because I think you immediately didn't like the villain, and I think that probably threw off your interest in the fun overall, which is totally fair. Um, and for me, I think what bummed me out about this one is that, like, I don't think that the B plot was as interesting.
0: No, like The, the stuff with was Marv
1: was less fun than the stuff they did last week in the B-plot of, like, tracking people down and, like, True. Fee and, Fee and Jesse doing all sorts of fun capers. Like, this week it felt more traditional burn notice. Like, all right, okay. we got to go to a guy, and then we got to go to a guy again. You know, like, it was less fun. It was just, like, they were bullying Marv. And I think that was what did it for me, is that, like, there was not equal fun in both parts. But I did really enjoy uh, Callie Thorpe. Um, yeah, what no, is she name? was great. Natalie? Like, yeah, she was great, and I yeah. love this coming back. I loved I, her. Yeah, she's fantastic. That like archetype that they're working with is fantastic. I do like that they did this. I don't think that the episode is good enough overall to be a great episode of television. Like, it does not compare to other ones that we've considered great episodes no. of television. But I enjoyed it. Once again, I did enjoy the episode.
0: I did too. Yeah, I don't think it's a great episode of television, but I did enjoy it.
1: Yeah. So you're not gonna you're not gonna argue the other way. Either? Oh no. No, I'm not gonna argue. <laughs> Let's not get it twisted. Oh, yeah. This is still not uh, a good television show.
0: <laughs> yeah. So anyway, with that, that's just another episode of television. And there's nothing left but to thank Vincent EL for our theme music. You can get more from Vincent at vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, bye. I
1: was going to do a bit where I sang something from one of my songs, but the one that I pulled up, I do not remember. But it's called On the Edge, and it starts with Do You Remember? So you can draw your own melody conclusions from that. Goodbye.